Well, good morning. How are you guys doing today? Good. Good Father's Day morning so far. Did you have a donut for your dad outside? Did you see the note on the donuts? Have a donut for your dad, which I thought was great, very inclusive, very, maybe not health conscious, but inclusive nonetheless, so that is great. Uh, yesterday, my family, because I'm involved this morning, and uh, a little bit in the afternoon and this evening with uh, stuff around the, the, the church community, we had our Father's Day celebrations yesterday, so I got prizes, uh, I guess they call them gifts, uh, and uh, some breakfast, and, and that was good. And we went out on a hike, and it was just kind of a day all about me. And so, I liked it. It was great. And so, hopefully, you're able to uh, celebrate your dad, whether that's something from uh, uh, physical that you can do, or something, uh, a phone call, or maybe that's just a memory. Uh, And maybe that's just something you spend time thinking about your father uh, in heaven, as opposed to uh, dad for different circumstances. And we want to, Paul acknowledged that in in the sermon. Uh, pardon me in the prayer, and uh, we want to uh, just acknowledge that here too, that it's tough for some of us, isn't it, uh, to go through this Father's Day stuff, and yet um, there is a Father who cares, uh, is perfect, and is, uh, is one worthy of our, our focus on a daily, a daily basis. Uh, I was working with a team of students who are going to be going to Montreal in a few weeks. Um, this week, tonight actually, we've got a number of baptisms, and so uh, if you have a chance to pop back at 6 o'clock to celebrate some baptisms with us, that would be great. And if not, there's kind of a bio of some of the people in your, in your bulletin this morning that you can look at later on this afternoon and just kind of celebrate what God's been doing in their lives. Uh, that's the big thing this week. Uh, next week, Kuanos, the big camp from down south on the island, is going to be coming up for kind of a commissioning uh, time. And so they'll have probably, as I understand it, a couple of hundred uh, leaders and campers in this service next week that we'll be commissioning out into their summer. And of course, we've already got some students from our own church community here who are flung across Canada and other places doing camp work already. And so we'll be thinking and praying for them as well. And then the week after, we're going to be commissioning this team that's going out to Montreal and a couple of students who are heading off to Ireland as well this summer. And kind of a commissioning service for them. And so lots of, lots of body life, lots of celebration Lots of uh, stories about God on the move in people's lives right now and moving into the summer. And it's pretty exciting. And so I've been meeting with this group that's going to be going to Montreal uh, as, as students to do missions this summer. And one of the scenarios we were talking about this last Thursday afternoon was what would happen if you were sitting down uh, maybe at a park bench in one of the green areas, in one of the grass spaces in Montreal, and, and somebody came along and sat down beside you and you struck up a bit of a conversation with them. And what would happen if they said to you, well, what are you doing in Montreal? And you could say, well, I'm here with uh, probably uh, about 250 teenagers and we're serving the city uh, in the name of God uh, and just wanting to bring uh, God's love to the city. And what if this person next to you said, well, what God are you talking about? What would be your answer to them? And so as as a team, we discussed in this hypothetical scenario, but a possibility could be a real, a real conversation we might have when we're there. What would be our answer to that question? And we talked about, you know, the God of the Bible and these, some of these kind of things. And, and what if uh, the follow-up question from this hypothetical individual was, well, tell me a little bit about this God of the Bible, this Jesus. What would you tell them? What, what story or what bit of scripture or what testimony would you give to talking about this Jesus? And I wonder if John chapter 21, where we're going to kind of plant ourselves and kind of launch out of and, and work through this morning. And so if you want to grab a Bible in the chair in front of you and find John 21, 
Uh, you can start doing that now. But what if that was the story we used? What if the only picture about Jesus we had, about God, of the Bible that we had, was this story that John records in his, his gospel in, in what we call chapter 21? What if that's all we had? What would that tell us about God? What would that describe to us about Jesus? And so that's kind of where we're going to journey today a little bit. Uh, John's got a, it's, it's a long letter, it's a long book, a long gospel that he writes. It almost feels like it concludes actually in chapter 20. Now let me read chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 to you. It says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But the ones that are, these, are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, if that's not an ending to a letter, if that's not a great conclusion of contents, I don't know what is. Lots else could be written, but I've written this stuff to bring glory to God and see that you might believe in him and have life. Amen. And then there's a whole other chapter tacked on. When I write letters, uh, and I don't, read a lot of, I don't write a lot of them anymore. A lot of what I write is emails or instant messages or these kind of things. But when I do write letters, oftentimes I'll sign my name at the end of it. And do you do this too? What comes after the signing of the name often? The PS, the postscript, right? And some people say that that postscript, that PS, is the most important part of the letter. Because it's the last thought. It's the final bit that you're going to leave with those who read it. Uh, Sometimes it refers back to the letter and reemphasizes something. Sometimes it's a whole new statement that's brought up. That is just really, it's an extra thought, but it's it's really one of the most important pieces of the letter. Maybe I'm writing to somebody about how life's going. Do any of you do this an end of the year letter? Maybe send it out at Christmas. New Year's kind of given a synopsis of the entire last 365 days. And then at the end, it gets really personal. At the end, there's that little extra like, hey, really appreciate you in life and looking forward to seeing you this summer when we go out to visit you or something. Or when you're coming to visit us. It's personal. It's to the point. It's that little extra last thought. And I'm wondering if maybe for John as he wrote this, if John 21 isn't the most important part, if maybe it isn't the PS, the postscript to this letter. Well, let's read it together and journey through. I'll stop a few times and give some comments. Let's work through chapter 21 of John and see what we learn about God and see what we might be able to tell this guy on this hypothetical bench in a hypothetical park. I was going to say in a hypothetical land with unicorns, but I won't go there. Um, Afterwards, verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV, so it might be slightly different than the Bibles in the chairs. Uh, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. This is also called the Sea of Galilee. Uh, It happened this way. So it's a story. He's telling us a story. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Sons of Zebedee, this is James and John, the writer of this gospel book. Uh, And two other disciples were together. Uh, That's the first pause button. Did he forget the name of the two other guys? Uh, Two other disciples, not worth mentioning. 
I've got a theory on this. We're going to come back to it. All right, so where we are. Verse 3. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Well, apparently they did this because it continues to say, when they did, they were unable to haul in the nets because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, there's this moment of recognition, right? And he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say this, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, and towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught, you have just caught. And Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore, and it was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Let's just stop for a second there. Can you picture this in your mind? If you were a film producer, how would you depict this visually? I like to sit and read stories like the one that John is telling and imagine it in my eyes because, in my mind, because I, I catch things I'd miss otherwise. Uh, Jesus calling out this recognition that it's the Lord. Simon Peter wearing his bathing suit, undergarments, whatever you feel comfortable imagining. Um, suddenly realizing who it is, getting dressed, and diving in the water to swim to shore. Awkward. Uh, getting there ahead of his friends, leaving them all to pull the fish in, uh, coming, sitting down around this breakfast after they'd pulled all the fish into shore. 153 of them. There's two pictures here. One of this passionate, almost crazily impetuous, kind of, let's go, Jesus is here guy named Simon Peter. I mean, here's a guy who is in the boat. What, it's Jesus? Jesus! Uh, who gets dressed to dive in the water? Who does this? I mean, this guy is excited. He's not thinking straight. All he knows is his friend, who's been dead and resurrected. This is the third time, by the way, that Jesus appears to the disciples. But he is just thrilled to have the chance to be with Jesus. I want some one-on-one. I want some face time. You guys are in the boat. I'm going to dive in and get there first so I get the first few minutes. And in the water he goes. Uh, you can see him coming up onto shore. Just clothes dripping. Jesus. And just what words might have been exchanged. The hugs. The, the good to see you again. The greetings. And everybody else arrives, a little bit grumpy that they had to weigh all this stuff. They had to 
come into shore. Thanks for your help, Peter. Hope it was worth it. The little hellos. It's great. Appreciate that. Uh, come back. They pull in. And they get to spend time with Jesus. Resurrected, but not yet ascended. The Son of God, God was skin on in their midst. They get to spend time with Him. But possibly two didn't. Because somebody's over here counting fish. 153 of them. These two other disciples who shall remain nameless are over here doing their duty, counting the fish, taking in. I mean, it had to be done, didn't it? The fish had to be inventoried. They had to be split between all these guys who were on the boat. I mean, these guys had bills to pay. This is their profession. And it was an honorable, it was a good one. And they would use that income to support their families if they had them. I mean, the sons of Zebedee. Maybe Zebedee had some mortgage payments he had to make and they got to provide. Okay? It had to be done. And the nets, they were checked. Not only did they count the fish, but they took the nets in and checked the nets because it tells us they weren't torn. Even with this great amount of fish, you'd expect them to be torn is implied that they weren't. So they went through and they inspected the nets while the rest are over having breakfast with Jesus. Come, have breakfast with me. And there's this, this dichotomy. There's these two pictures. This passionate pursuit of relationship and this sense of priorities and duty. And I read that and I go, yeah, that's sometimes me. Passion or duty. And I have to ask myself, where do I find myself sometimes? And there's there's different kinds of this duty. I mean, Peter's thrilled. But these guys are duty bound. And we do that in life, don't we? Spending time with believers, spending time with the Lord, doing the stuff on the checklist that's got to get done. What's my priority going to be? Spiritual or temporal? Duty or passionate relationship? And how often do I drop the ball and choose the one over the better? I mean, we see this all through different pictures in Scripture. We've got Mary and Martha. And one's complaining that supper's got to be prepared, we've got to make the meal. I just want to spend time at the feet of Jesus. Passionate pursuit of relationship. The sense of duty and obligation. We both get caught up in each of them, don't we? And maybe Simon Peter, in this case, Jesus would have said, has chosen the better thing. Priority. But there's also a different, there's also obligatory. This sense of it's what's expected. And sometimes this seeps into the pursuit of Christ. It, it becomes this relationship versus religion. Uh, there was an interesting poll done uh, a few years ago in the States, uh, a study, I guess, of where they gave prisoners the opportunity to write cards to their moms for Mother's Day. 
and they let the prisoners know that if you want, you can order a card, write it, and we'll deliver it to your moms, assuming that they're alive and able to receive the cards. They'll get them from you. And the report said that almost without exception, every single inmate took a card, wrote it out, and sent it to their mom. And then Father's Day came along, and they did the same experiment, the same opportunity. If your father is alive and able to receive a card, would you like to have a card request, would you like to request a card to fill it out and give it to your dad for Father's Day? And almost every single inmate said, no, thank you. Some kind of a relational breakdown. They weren't interested in connecting relationally with their dads. But some did. And in post-study interviews, those that did almost without exception did it because they felt obligated to do it. It's Father's Day. I'm supposed to. Um, Following Jesus because there's this vibrant relationship there or going to church and practicing religion because it's what I was brought up with and it's what expected. I'm obligated to it. One is kind of cold and mechanical and duty bound and the other is alive and vibrant and organic and growing and moving and changing. This sense of which would I do? And so passion and duty, there's a priority, but there's also this obligation, obligatory. And we get caught up in this. We get tangled up in this like the nets of the fishermen we're using. And it checks my heart. And what's my relationship with Jesus about? Is it just because it's expected of me because I'm Christian? Or is it because I've chosen to follow one who's invited me to come after him? So I'm thinking about these things as this story unfolds. Anyway, let's get back to this. Um, Verse 11. Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the nets ashore, and it was full of fish. There was 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Okay, so we're back to where we ended off. Um, None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Uh, Several times, just as a side note, when Jesus shows back up to interact with the disciples or his followers following his resurrection, they don't recognize him right away. And I don't understand the dynamic here. Uh, Maybe his appearance was slightly different, but it was clear. They were clear who it was. They say, none of them dare ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. So Jesus came, took bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. Uh, this was how the th- now the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they were finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, they go on for a conversation, but let's, let's just stop it again here. This, this meal, this fish, um, this bread. Where did Jesus get the fish and the bread? I mean, these guys were fishing. Presumably he knew if they'd throw it over the right-hand side, they would bring in a large amount of fish because he told them so. And yet, he got some fish ahead of time anyway. Uh, He went and found bread to be cooked in the coals anyway. To make this breakfast barbecue on the beach. I don't know if any of you had had the opportunity to have a barbecue on the beach before. Something else to just go down and start that fire in the sand. And the, the cool breeze of the morning coming off the water. And just to have fish. That's been freshly caught, or perhaps in Jesus' situation, freshly purchased. I don't know which it would have been. 
and some bread that's been freshly, I mean the smells even, as they arrived on the shore. And to sit down and have breakfast that the Son of God has, the Lord has prepared for you. It could be doing a whole lot of stuff. I mean, Jesus has only got limited time between his resurrection and his ascension. He's got to mobilize these guys to evangelize the world, to lead the church that will be founded several days later at Pentecost, which we celebrated just a little bit ago here as a church holiday, as a, as a, a celebration of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's got a lot to do and a short amount of time to get it organized. If it was me, I'd have checklists. Uh, Myra was playing the piano today. Uh, she's also, besides playing a, being a phenomenal piano player, is my assistant in the office, and she loves checklists. Um, I don't know what she thinks about checklists. She's being very polite about it all, but she may be driven up the wall. I like checklists. I got them on my whiteboard on my wall. I got them on sheets. They go through checklists. I'm a checklist guy. If I was looking after breakfast or this morning between the resurrection and the ascension, organizing all these people, we would not be sitting around having breakfast. Having small talk that isn't even recorded, it's so insignificant. We would be meeting, let's get down to business. We got a lot to plan and a short amount of time to do it. But that's not Jesus' operation. He's more interested in their hearts. And so what does Jesus do? He says, I'm back, let's eat. And he begins with hospitality. He begins by serving them. This God who is hospitable. This God who serves those who he's created. What's that about? Rooted and based in love and relationship. Well, that's something worth sharing with our hypothetical person on a hypothetical bench in a hypothetical park somewhere where there are no unicorns. Hospitality and, and provision. I mean, where did he get the fish? Where did he get the bread? I don't know what happened preceding this whole thing going down here. Was there some kind of a Trinitarian brainstorming session where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. Uh, could it be that they, as a, they sat and, and, okay, we know we have to reestablish Peter as an apostle here. He's denied you, Jesus, publicly. Um, he did it three times. He did it at night uh, around that fire. We've got to somehow publicly restore him. Um, what if because that was night, we have some symbolism there and we do it in the morning when a new day is dawning, that would be good. Uh, it was around a fire, so let's do it around a fire again. Um, uh, three times he denied you, so we're going to have to reaffirm him three times. That would speak into him. Um, got it. Luke chapter 5. Now, I'm sure they didn't say that, but... Earlier on, one of Jesus' first encounters with Peter, Paul read it out this morning, was at a lake. And Jesus said, put the nets down the other side. And they pulled in this huge thing of fish and into the boats. And that's where Peter, down to his knees in the fish, in the boat, and said, you know, basically, I'm not worthy to follow you. And Jesus speaks into him and says, you're going to be a fisher of men now. And come and follow me. And, and Peter left everything and went and followed Jesus. That, oh, 
So let's sit at a lake and have the same thing go down to remind him of his first calling to fall. And this brainstorm session just went on. I don't know if that's how these, I just, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud here. But there's something incredible about these bookends to Jesus and Peter's interaction at this time. It's so incredible. I just wonder, does God give that much thought to us? Zephaniah is an Old Testament prophet. And, and just three chapters. And chapter 3, verse 17. This is just a little incredible picture of God's character. Let me read it for you in context of what I've just said about this Trinitarian brainstorming session. The Lord your God is with you, right, Zephaniah. And he is mighty to save. It talks about a personal God who cares for his followers. He will take great delight in you. Isn't that incredible? A God who would take great delight in those who he created. But it goes on. He will quiet you with his love. There's this sense of comfort and compassion. This ministering to. That's talked about even in 2 Corinthians. Paul alludes to it where he says, you know, the God who, this is the Jesus, the God who comes alongside of us in our troubles to comfort us so we can then go on and comfort others in the troubles that we find ourselves in. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And then get this last line. He will rejoice over you with singing. Wait a minute. Isn't that our job? We come together and one of the things we do as the body of Christ as we come together is, is sing worship. Express worship in song to the Lord. Well, absolutely, but Zephaniah tells us that the Lord would sing over us his delights and love and peace. What would he sing over you? That's, that's this Jesus. That's this God who cares for us. He's hospitable. He provides. And Zephaniah 3.17 gives us this picture of him delighting over us. And I'm not meaning to get all warm and fuzzy, okay? But this is the reality of this God who cares. If I was with the youth group, I'd say, this God who gives a rip about you. But that's another setting. First, let's eat. Then we can get on to business. And when was the last time that you, hey, we can do it here, go down to the beach and just sit and bring along a breakfast and have it with Jesus. And just be with him. And let him delight over you. And quiet you with his love. And sing his heart over you. So, I love you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Running around my head here. Jesus does the Beatles. Um, yeah. So, just thinking about this as I read this, this story. So, what does he say to Peter after breakfast is done? We get back to it here. Now, it's business time now. So, verse 15. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? And I don't know if he's pointing to the guys He's pointing to the fish. 
I don't know what he's pointing to, but he says, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says. You know that I love you. And the word love that Peter replies with is a different use of the word than, than Jesus gives. It's, Jesus says, do you love them? And Peter's reply is a very, use of a very emotional term. Yes, I love. It's a different, in the original language, it's a different word. Yes, I emotionally love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. And Jesus says, take care of my sheep. His people. And then the third time he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Well, Peter's hurt at this point. Because Jesus asked him a third time. Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Then go and feed my sheep. And he talks a little bit about what will happen with the death of, of Peter. And then we jump back in the latter part of verse 19. And then Jesus says to him, follow me. And again, this just incredible bookmark, right? Peter is all consumed about himself. He's come out of the garden where Jesus has been arrested. Kind of follows him at a distance. And then denies knowing him. It's all about self-preservation. A little bit narcissistic. It's all about me. I've got to watch out for me. Let's go do some fishing, guys. And, and he's leading these other guys. Let's go and do something I enjoy. And, and, and Jesus says, look, Peter, start looking at others. Start getting your heart repositioned to be outward looking rather than inward looking. He says, enough with the narcissism. It's time for the more of God. Right? It's time for the bigger. Colossians 3 says, you know, lift, put your, let, let your eyes above. Oh, give me a second. Colossians 3. Let's set your eyes on things above, not on earthly things. Set your heart on things above. Um, Christ says, where I am seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's this perspective change that Jesus is calling Peter to. Get your eyes off yourself and live for others. And maybe some of the lines from Jesus' earlier ministry teaching has started coming in. If you want to serve, or if you want to be greatest, you've got to serve. If you want to be king of the hill, you've got to be serving all. If you want to live, you've got to die to self. If you want to be first, you have to be last. And are suddenly some things are clicking in Peter's mind. That modeling of Jesus causes a change to happen. And Jesus pushes it and pushes it. And pushes it three times. And then says, follow me. And of course, Peter's story goes on. And it continues. He's invited into the more of God. The first time on the lake with the nets. Back in Luke chapter 5, Peter's a curious seeker. Jesus says, come and follow me. Now he's a failed disciple. And Jesus says, come. Follow me. And I love that. Because I don't know, we're all at one of those two places in this building, I'm assuming tonight. We're actually curious about Christianity. We're exploring it. We're seeking after God. We're not sure yet, but we're learning. And Jesus' response to you would be, come, follow me. Let's invest in this thing. Come and follow me. Uh, And on the flip side, many of us in here just feel like failed disciples. We're not doing a very good job of it. That's my story often. 
And Jesus speaks to me and you and He says, Come, follow. I restore you. So I just sit on this bench with this person maybe in Montreal and, and I tell the story of John 21. The story that John writes, it happened this way. And I share it. And my hope would be this person would start to get a picture of this vibrant, passionate, hospitably generous, forgiving, second chance, restoring commission to follow God. So, so what about you? Is this P.S., this postscript from Paul for me? Is it for you? What bits is the Holy Spirit kind of putting a pin on for you this morning? Um, let's just uh, take a moment, just to be silent and invite the Holy Spirit just to teach us His counselor, the gift from Jesus. Uh, just listen to maybe what God would be stirring up. So let's just quiet ourselves for a moment. If you want to close your eyes for concentration, you can. Let's, I'll just pray for us. Lord, would you teach us right now what piece of this morning's story that John so carefully added to the end of this gospel is for us. Holy Spirit, would you speak the words to the Father to our hearts now so that your Son might be glorified in our life and lifted up. Would you change us because of your word this morning? Amen.